You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. From the beginning of time, human beings have loved stories. I think that's somewhat self-evident. It's clear today in the massive amounts of time and money that we pour into uh, television, movies, TV shows. We we love stories, and it's kind of funny. Um, Shane and I, we don't have cable, but we... uh, actually use Josh's Hulu. Um, we should probably get our own. But uh, he logged in on our TV once, and it's still there, right? And so, so we watch a couple of shows, and it's funny how similar a lot of them are, but we're just like, oh, it's cool, another story, you know? And we just love stories, and you can kind of see this in history, too, from, from going back to the theater with plays, and then to books, and to oral legends, and to even cave drawings, when they were telling stories by drawing them um, on the caves and things like that. You can look way back into history and see that we are a people of story. And the reason for this is because we were made by a storytelling God. Um, When you look in the Gospels, you see God in the flesh, Jesus, and what does he do to try to convey his message um, and sometimes confuse his listeners? Um, He teaches in parables or stories. And if you're wondering, confused, it actually, he, he actually says that. I'll, we'll have to look at that sometime. Um, but, but parables were stories that he was telling um, using the natural world. He was a storytelling God. But you don't just see it in Jesus. If you zoom out, you see it in the Bible as a whole. You know, this is not just another religious document or another um, kind of compilation of moral codes to, of right and wrong. This is the grand story of God himself. And here's the amazing part, is that God invites us to be characters of his story. Dan Taylor puts it this way, Your life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. It is what you were created for. If faith were primarily an idea, the intellect alone might be adequate for dealing with it. But since it is instead a life to be lived, we need story. And this is why the Bible opens up with, In the beginning. Buckle up. We're going to tell you the whole story from start to finish. That's the amazing reality of the Bible. And what we see in the beginning um, is we see the garden paradise. And and everything's perfect. And and human beings are in relationship with one another and with their God. And and we see shalom. We see peace. Um, But then all hell breaks loose. Literally. Right? Like you can see that when, when mankind rebels and chooses to sin, sin is ushered into the world. And, and it's just a horrible picture of rebellion and sin. And, and then we get to us and we experience that in our own lives. And even today there's pain and there's brokenness. And, and you're like, what is going on? But thankfully, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the brokenness, we can look to the end and read the end of the story. And at the end of the story, we see another garden paradise where God has rescued and redeemed his people and brought us back to the garden in his presence with shalom, with peace, with, with loving one another and loving God. And, and what we get to look at today is a crucial chapter in that story. And what's amazing about Ephesians chapter 2 is that if you're a believer today, you are one of the key characters in this story. And so this is not just God's story. It is your story as well. Ephesians chapter 2, let's start by reading 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
So the first kind of part in the story, actually, I'm going to break this story into three, um, three parts, and it kind of fits with that three-act structure um, that you often see in stories. Um, the first part of the story that I want to highlight for you is a hopeless condition. A hopeless condition. One through three is describing every person in this room. For some of you, this is your past, if you're a believer. For others, this may be your present. Paul is writing this to Ephesian Christians, to believers, so, so he's saying this is you, this is who we once were. You'll see that a lot. He's, he's using the past to describe this is who you used to be. And so if you're a believer today, this is our past, and this is kind of the, the angle that I want to look at it today. And I want to make several observations from 1 through 3. The first thing is we were dead in our sins. What is dead? It's pretty simple. <laughs> no inclination or responsiveness toward God. No ability to please him. Lifeless. Okay? But, but we're dead, but we're still living, and we're sinning. And it says we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. Sins are kind of the general offenses against God, anything against him. But trespasses are a little more specific in that they're overstepping a boundary. There's some kids in the room, and those of you who have parents know, sometimes you have boundaries in your household. And when your children decide to step over those boundaries and do what you told them not to do, they are trespassing. They are transgressing. They are overstepping a boundary. That's, that's what that word has the idea of. And we all do that. Right? I say this a lot. We, we can't even keep our own standards, let alone God's. We're sinners. We're dead in our sins. Not only that, number two, we're following. We were following the course of this world. What does that mean? Well, like dead fish floating downstream, we bought the lies of this wicked world and we were living in a false story, a false narrative. We allowed the world around us, the culture around us to shape our identity, our values, our thoughts, our emotions. And we were in bondage to the world around us, just floating downstream with the rest of mankind, following the course of this world. That, that was us, dead fish floating downstream. Not only that, we were in bondage to Satan. It says the prince of the power of this air. Satan and his control over unbelievers is what that's talking about. You know, one of the biggest lies of Satan today is that following Christ takes away your freedom. Right? Don't, don't go to Jesus because that's restriction and there's all these rules and, and that's not fun. And that lie goes where? Right back to the garden where he told them, hey, God's holding out on you. Even though you have this entire garden of paradise, there's that one tree he's not letting you have. And I'm telling you what, you should try that one. And that's the lie today. And, and, and unbelievers think they may be free, but they're in bondage not only to culture and to the world, but also to Satan himself. And, and again, I, I talk about this a lot. Sometimes we have two camps when it comes to Satan and spiritual warfare. There's the one that sees everything as satanic and and the one who completely ignores him. And, and we've got to be in the middle. He is real. He is active. He is seeking to destroy us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, and we see here that before Christ, we were literally serving Satan as our master. We literally thought we were free, but we were so enslaved. And it's only in submitting to the lordship of Christ that we find true freedom. What did Jesus say? I have come to give you life. And life more abundant. He didn't come to take away our freedom. He came to give us true freedom in a relationship with him as our good God and creator. Not only that, we were controlled by our sinful desires. If you look, it says in verse 4, 
Or verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what's it talking about there is our own sinful desires. So he started by saying you're dead and you're sinning your trespasses and you're in bondage to the world, just following the course of this world mindlessly, thinking you're free, but you're not. And not only that, in bondage to Satan. And not only that, in bondage to your own sinful desires. So many things that, if we're honest right now, that, that we don't want to do, but we still do it. And, and there's this, this pull. And, and those of us who are believers, we still struggle with that. And it's difficult to understand sometimes. But, but we do have victory, and we'll see that. But before Christ, we were just completely controlled. There was no victory over our sinful desires. We were held captive by them. We lived in the wicked passions of our flesh and carried out all sorts of rebellion against our creator. That's why it talks about in the mind, with, with the will, with the intellect, and, and not only that, in the, in the body. And the, the things that we do, it, it's, it's just a, a complete lie of Satan um, and a lie of our own flesh that we're going to go over here for mud puddles when an ocean of satisfaction is offered us in Christ. But we couldn't see it. And so we went from mud puddle to mud puddle to mud puddle, trying to find satisfaction in bondage to the desires of our own flesh. And lastly, it says we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were destined for wrath. As a just judge, God cannot allow all the wickedness I just described to go unpunished. He can't. And you know, when, when you see something, when you see something that is unjust, someone was treated um, unfairly, and you see that there's something that lights up within you, right? That is not fair. When you're treated unjustly, there, there's almost this switch of justice within us that just says, that is not right. That's not fair. That's not how that person should have been treated. That's not how I should have been treated. Why? Because we know in our, deep down in our bones that justice needs to happen. But when it comes to God, we don't like justice, right? We want mercy. And, and the truth of the matter is, if he gave us what we deserved, if he gave us justice, then he would have to punish us for our sins, or someone had to be punished for our sins, right? He can't just, just pretend like they're not there. And so God, as a just judge, has to punish sin. And this says that we, as, as a people, we were dead, we were in our sins, we were in bondage, and we were in this train, if you will, headed towards destruction. And sometimes, most of the time, if we're honest, we're driving the train right into destruction, Destined for wrath, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our future included a guilty judgment from God and the full weight of his wrath for our rebellion. Again, this is not popular stuff to preach. Right? This is not easy for us to swallow. This kind of goes completely anti-cultural. That, that we're actually sinners and that we actually deserve punishment for it. This is what it's saying very clearly. This was our hopeless condition. Dead in sins, controlled by the world, our sinful flesh and Satan. And worst of all, destined for wrath. You know, religion can't help this problem. We're dead. Education can't help this problem. Medication can't help this problem. We were dead. We were hopeless. We were miserable. Christianity is not tips and tricks for a better life. Or try this and, and it should help you. Christianity is a call to dead sinners headed for destruction. So far, this is pretty dark. You're probably, uh, you were probably hoping for something a little more encouraging, right? Our, your story. This is your story, right? But 
you'll know often that the stars shine the brightest on the darkest of nights. And I think what Paul is trying to do for us is lay the backdrop of the darkness and the wickedness that we all were a part of before the star of God's glorious grace shined in our lives. We were dead. We were hopeless. We were miserable. But thankfully, this is not where our story ends. This brings us to the next part of the story. I love how verse 4 begins, but God. In other words, God's not just going to leave us. God's not just going to leave us in that hopeless, miserable condition. He's going to act. And this brings us to, secondly, a merciful rescue. Verses 4 through 6, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because of the richness of God's love, this passage says, and the great love with which he loved us, he shows us mercy. He shows us grace. He pours his love out on us. And he, first of all, he makes us alive. It says he makes us alive. Sometimes you'll hear an analogy um, describing salvation as we were kind of drowning in the ocean of our sin and Jesus pulls up in the boat and he kind of throws us the rope and, and we grab hold of the rope and, and, and our faith and he saves us. And, and that's kind of the analogy you hear. But a better analogy would be that we were at the bottom of the ocean dead and that our sins had weighed us down to the bottom and we were rotting as corpses at the bottom of the ocean and Jesus pulled up in his boat and he didn't throw us a rope. We're dead. We, we can't grab a rope. He dove in to our brokenness. He dove into our sin. He dove into our misery. He swam to the bottom of the ocean and he scooped up our lifeless bodies and he brought us back to the boat and he breathed into us the breath of life. That's a better analogy of what happened. We were dead, right? Like, let's not complicate this. We were dead. We, we needed life and, and so we were dead and, and, and there, our sins were upon us, but Jesus gave us life. Do you understand what a miracle this is? Do you understand what a miracle salvation is? This is why I always say that, that when it comes to sharing our faith, you know, if, if I say, you know, go out and share your faith with your coworkers and try to reach the lost, you understand what I'm asking you to do is go to a graveyard and call people up from the dead? That's what we're asking you to do. So what does that tell you? It's, it's not you who's going to do it. It's Jesus. And so it takes the weight off of us. We can't raise the dead. And so what do we do? We pray. We ask God to intervene and we share the good news, hoping that God will will act in such a way to rescue this dead sinner. He made us alive, but not only that, he raised us up with him, it says. You know, I think this is further elaboration on what happened when he made us alive. He didn't just let us lay there kind of barely breathing. He picked us up. He set us on our feet. The the Bible is actually going to say that our union with him is so comprehensive that we are actually risen with Christ. In Colossians 3. And so we've been risen with Christ. We have new life that is vibrant and satisfying. And and as we saw in our, our message last week, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is working in us. That's the power that raised us. Amazingly, that's not all he did. He made us alive. He raised us up. And thirdly, he seated us with him in heavenly places. Again, our union with Christ is so comprehensive and so secure that even right now, as we look around and we're seated in this room, 
The scriptures say that if you're a believer, you're actually seated in heavenly places. This is one of those passages that fits into the already but not yet paradigm, right? Like, like you, you imagine you book the cruise, you buy the tickets, you got everything ready, um, right? It's, it's, it's just as good as happened, but you're not there yet. And so you're counting down kind of the days on the calendar until that vacation happens. And, and in a very similar way, um, but even more comprehensive than we can really fathom, right now already we're seated with them in heavenly places. Not in some vague like spiritual sense, like your union with Christ is so comprehensive that he's put you there and that you have, you have actually authority in your life, given to you by Christ. Um, it's really an amazing picture, and, and there's so many things that fit into this paradigm of already but not yet. We're already free from sin, but we kind of still struggle with it. We're in that already but not yet phase, and we look forward to, to the final consummation of this salvation. But right now, believer, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's an amazing reality. It's sometimes hard to comprehend, but it's true. And so this is our story. We were dead. We were miserable. We were hopeless. But God being rich in mercy. That's amazing. You know, I heard a joke this past week about this. That a man was getting his kind of, kind of photography. He was there getting this picture. And he was like, make sure that this picture does me justice. And, and the photographer looked over the man and he said, sir, I've really been able to examine you. And, and you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> And, and in a similar way, that's what we needed, right? We want justice, but when it comes to this, man, we need mercy. And we received it. Not just a little bit of mercy. God is rich in mercy. His mercy is new every morning. And he just pours it out on us like a waterfall. He makes us alive with Christ. He raises us up with him. He seats us in heavenly places with him. This is, this is amazing, and sometimes even as Christians, we're kind of just dull to this. We're dead to it. We're not in awe of this, this amazing truth. And, and here's what's mind-blowing about this. Like, if the, if the story ended here, like, wow, awesome. But there's more. Which brings us to the third point. A glorious calling. A glorious calling. In verse 7, it says, So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let's pause there for a moment. You know, you know, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know, I always like to ask why, right? I was, I was a really annoying kid, uh, right? If my parents ever gave a rule or laid down something or told me something, I'd always want to know why, why, right? And, and kids kind of go through that phase. I just never grew out of it. Um, but it's one of those things that if you ask that question while you're reading your Bible, it can unlock some really glorious truths. Because if we're just reading and we say, okay, we were dead, we were hopeless, we were miserable, got it, okay. Um, next, we were made alive and we were raised up with him and we're seated in heavenly places. Awesome, this is cool. This is great truth. But, but why? God, why would you do this? Like, what are you doing? What, what in the world is your purpose behind this? This is mind-blowing. Why would you do this? And verse 7 tells us why. It says, so that. Or here's why. Listen closely. Here's why, that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's why. That's why he intervened into our hopeless condition. So that he could have a cosmic show and tell. And take you as a trophy of his grace and put it on display for everyone to see. So that, so that we, in our lives, would show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not just in this age, but in the age to come. We're trophies of God's grace. He bought us with a price. And and Paul's going to elaborate further on this in a minute, but I just want you to stop and think for a minute. That's why God saved you. You weren't just saved in some arbitrary sense. Like he gave you life for a reason. To purchase you as a trophy of his grace that he can display his grace and kindness to others through. So, so you have a purpose, you have a calling, a glorious calling. This is the last part of the story that you need to get before you leave today. Or you'll just have a lot of what and no why. You need this why as an anchor in your boat. So, so let's look at it, this a little further as Paul elaborates. We're going to see in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is he saying? Well, first of all, he's saying your salvation is all of grace. So if you're going to be a trophy of God's grace, you've got to first understand your salvation is all of God's grace from start to finish. When it says this is not your own doing, you know what that means? In the Greek, it means this is not your own doing. It means you did nothing to add to your salvation. And that's referring not just to the grace in the Greek, but to the faith, which kind of throws us off because a lot of times we think of faith as like our contribution. But, but grace was the cause and faith was the conduit and faith was more of a response than any type of contribution. Faith was our response to God's glorious display of the gospel in our lives. We heard the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. For some reason, God opened your eyes and, and you saw and you heard and you believed. You responded, but you didn't contribute. This is what it's trying to say, that faith and grace are gifts of God. That, 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 that all of this, all of this salvation is of grace. We need to understand that. Because if we think we brought something to the table, then, then we're, we're missing it. Right? We're going to start trying to show ourselves off instead of God's grace. But we're trophies of his grace. Remember, you were dead at the bottom of the ocean floor. And he made you alive. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. What an amazing truth. Why is this important? Again, because in, in order to show the riches of his grace, we need to understand that we brought nothing to the table. It's all of his grace. But not only that, it says you are God's workmanship. You know, in the Greek, that's the word poema, which I know you don't care that much about. But um, in English, that's where we get the word poem. Now, words change a lot. And so this didn't exactly mean poem in the Greek. Okay, but I think it's cool that we have taken our word poem and gotten it from this word. Um, But basically what it means is we are anything that's created, anything that's work like a masterpiece. Okay, and so when you think of a poem, a work of art, you think of any type of thing. That's who we are to God. Okay, this means that, that God God is was working in you as his workmanship, as his masterpiece. He's not done with you yet. He, he has a plan for your life. He wants to display some things through you. And not only that, what does it say? Where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works? Which, look at this. I, I hope you get this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like what? Wait, what? What is this saying? This is saying... That God saved you, and before eternity, back in eternity, before you ever came into existence, He has good works prepared for you to walk in. 
Which means that every single day you wake up, he's got good works prepared for you that you were uniquely wired to accomplish. That I can't do, that no one else can do. Good works prepared beforehand for you to walk in. One of the good works he prepared for me today was this message. And and there's a thousand other good works that the people in this room have today to accomplish to display his grace. If that doesn't get you excited, I really just don't know what will. Right? We, we are obsessed with story. I talked about that. And we love epic stories, right? Where this person is on a quest and they have something to accomplish. That's you. <laughs> like, do you get that? Do you understand why the human heart loves these stories? Loves these epic stories? Because we're in one. We're, we're a character in the most epic story of all time. And he's got good works for you to do. Some of you are wondering, why am I this, this tall? Why do I speak this way? Why do I look this way? Why do I have these kind of these these attributes about me? Why do I have these tendencies? Why do I have these gifts? Some of you are really good at singing or music. Why? To show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. That's why. He's got good works prepared for each person in this room who's a believer. Which means you have a glorious calling. The God of the universe designed you as his workmanship, his masterpiece. He formed you in the womb, it says. Knitted you together. This is, this, if this doesn't add excitement and purpose to your life, I, just, I really don't know what will. Like I just, as I was studying this, I'm like, how do I, like, how do I get people to grasp this? And I'm like, I, I can't, God, you've got to do it. But when you get this, man, every day you wake up and you say, I've been bought by the precious blood of Christ as a trophy of God's grace to display his grace and his kindness towards others in my life. And that he's got good works prepared for me to do today. Talk about purpose. The Bible says he uniquely wired you, uniquely placed you where you live, gave you the unique gifts that you have to display his glory. And so Christian, this is your story. This is your story. That you were dead, you were miserable, you were hopeless, you were lost. God showed you mercy. He rescued you. He gave you life. He put you on your feet. He he set you in heavenly places. And then he gave you a glorious calling to accomplish in this life. To display his glory. That's our story. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, this can be your story as well. Listen, if you hear God's voice today, don't harden your hearts. That's the call throughout the scriptures. Don't harden your heart if you hear the voice of God today. If you hear God calling you to come to Christ and to believe, don't walk away. Because if you're hearing that, he's given you the ability to hear that because you're dead. And so don't walk away. You don't know how long that door is going to be open. Trust Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. That's why there's an urgency in the scripture. We don't know how long we have on this earth. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, trust Christ. Repent and believe. And then rejoice with the rest of us. This is our story. We've got a calling. We've got a purpose to fulfill. To quote Dan Taylor again, he says, Human beings are story-shaped creatures. We are born into stories. We are raised in stories. We live and die in stories. And if you are a believer today, this is your story. One chapter in the grand story of redemption that God has been writing since eternity past. And the story's not done. One day he's going to wrap this story up and it's going to be a never-ending story where one chapter is always better than the one before. As C.S. Lewis said, it's going to get better and better and better and we're just going to be continually in awe of God's grace. And he's not just going to show off his grace now. It says what? In the coming ages, you are part of that. 
That's why I said it's a cosmic show and tell. You're his workmanship. You're his trophy. You're his masterpiece. And he's going to put you on display. This is is mind-boggling to consider. But right now, you have a purpose to fulfill in your life. You have good works prepared for you. So as we close today, I want you to meditate on this story, the true story. The true story. Rehearse it often. Bookmark this passage and read it regularly. Because you have a part in this story. The God of the universe has called you by his grace and empowered you to display his glory. So here's, here's the challenge for you today. Walk in the good works prepared for you. Walk has the idea of, of the way we live our lives. And, and what does it say? It says we once walked in sin, right? We were dead and we were living in this. And now we walk in the good works prepared for us. This is our story. God has uniquely wired you and given you specific works to walk in. What a privilege. What an honor. What a story. There are so many false stories out there that we hear every single day. These stories shape us. They inform us. They teach us. They give us a lens that we look at the world through. And so what stories are you listening to? What stories are you telling? You see, stories are all around us and we're living in a story. But if you're a Christian today, God calls you to a better story. The true story. The greatest story, the story of the God of the universe who has called you by his grace and empowered you to display his glory. That's our story today. Let's make the most of it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. I just ask that you would help us to hear this story as the true story. The greatest story, our story, if we're believers today. And to go out and to live this out this week with excitement and passion and and awe and wonder as we seek to spread a passion for your glory in Port Austin and beyond. God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the great mercy you've showed us. Lord, we're just, we're so in awe of your grace. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.